my confused, encourages us to worship the Lord in every which way will encourage us and help us to know that every single thing that we have is from our God and our God is our creator. How's that? Beautiful. <laughs> I think I've got this one. Can I be heard? Okay, well, here I am again, and here you are, to the praise and glory of God's grace, mercy, and goodness. So I'm going to take a look today at a prophet and a holy man of God called Habakkuk. You can't hear me? Can we adjust the microphone? Can you hear me now? You heard that? Yeah? Okay? Right, oh look at that. You missed all the rest. The, the former, okay. So, I'll just start off again. Because I'm taking a look today at a prophet and holy man of God called Habakkuk. It's Old Testament probably a well-known account to most here, written around the late 7th century BC, and yet containing much of reverence for us today, in this age of ours. There's a lot to say about Habakkuk, but that's like a large bowl of fruit. Too much. So we're just taking a couple of pieces of fruit, which I hope won't take too long. So, and it won't. And as we all know, all scripture, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good thing. Inspired by God, used by God, all scripture is God-breathed. How important is this word, the whole of it? Old Testament as well as new. I'm going to read from the CSB at the moment, but all of the quotes will be from the New Living Translation. 
We can start with Habakkuk 1, good place to start, 1 to 4. The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw a message in a vision. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not come to save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why? Do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. Conflict escalates. That is why the Lord is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. There is perhaps a simmering anger behind this prayer and also a really deep and personal suffering. And it's a brilliant prayer because it's real. This prayer bursts forth from the prophet's lips in a few words, but yet still contains a mighty torrent of pain, of bewilderment, and even desperation. Desperate for an answer, bewildered by God's lack of any action, and in pain about the whole situation, with almost accusation he bursts out. He cannot contain it. His whole anguish of heart is caught up in it and he pours it forth and obviously has been pouring it forth painfully both continually and consistently for many days even years. The length of time increases his anguish and God both knows and permits it. And Habakkuk grows in endurance and perseverance and faithfulness. God permits and uses hardships, even when, as hardships do, it brings unhappiness, that real growth and good may come in time. And he, and he alone, has control of the clock. How long must I call for help and you do not listen? A deeply emotional cry from a very real place of anguish.
Why do you not save? He cries. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Strife is ongoing and conflict increases. Your righteous people are terribly constricted by the wicked and it's escalating. How long? Why have you not dealt with this? He is enmeshed and intricately interwoven in the whole situation. Deeply concerned and fervently desiring God to act and deeply concerned for God's holy and oppressed people and their deliverance from evil. A man concerned for others as well as for himself and for the state of the nation kingdom of Israel and with an appointment from God as watchman. We too have an appointment from God. This prayer is, well, it's a powerful intercession and a consistent intercession and a bold intercession and an unfeignedly honest intercession. He speaks out what is in his heart without a shadow of religious performance or hypocrisy. Says it as it is, in his eyes as he sees it, and directs it to God, the only source of help. <coughs> he does not look elsewhere to anything or anyone else, not to governments, movements or programs or any other human endeavour. It is though what we tend to do. We often pray for a government which is essentially wicked to act righteously. But he knew where to go. And actually, so do we, directly, with the whole problem to the Father and Creator of all things. Psalm 60, verse 11. Give us aid against the foe, for human help is worthless. For human help is worthless. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Not mountains, the created order but the uncreated and eternally omnipotent maker and source of everything that is, the Lord our God. 
And God is listening to Habakkuk and will answer, but not necessarily as supposed and desired in the heart of a man, but according to his own heart and wisdom. Romans 11, 34 Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge! How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Our perception is negligible. His perception omniscient, all-knowing. At our best, our thoughts and understanding are less than dust in his presence. But even so, as Habakkuk, do we, I wonder, pray with such fervour and commitment, continually and consistently, perseveringly and painfully longing for God to act. His heart, Habakkuk's, was not hard nor cold, had not grown dull nor weary in the passage of time, a weariness with waiting perhaps, but not a weariness of quitting or giving up. It could be said of him, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4 And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall have their fill. Matthew 5, 6 There is much he would have to go through and much he would have to endure. We read these texts and do not really always grasp their reality. Flesh and blood, men and women, just as we lived through these times and prayed and suffered and endured. What he pleaded to God is much the same as we could plead in our day and our nation. Wickedness is escalating and the righteous are increasingly oppressed and so too in actual fact it is all over the world. How then are our hearts? Are we a hungering and thirsting people and a praying and a mourning people. Hunger and thirst consume a person's whole attention with a passion that fills heart and mind. Mourning too concentrates our attention and passion. Are we angry, emotionally involved as Habakkuk was, 
and greatly stirred up, crying out to God continually as he. In this dark world, how deep is our concern? Do we actually possess a consuming passion for the kingdom and honour of our God and Father, and for light to come into this present and increasingly pervading darkness? Habakkuk was eaten up with passion. How long, O Lord, the early church was eaten up with it also. Acts 4. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us your servants, give us your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. And so too should we be. But I think, and I speak to myself, and for myself as well, our hearts are somewhat dull and cold, and we are not enmeshed and intricately interwoven in our present day situation. So may God grant us that we here begin to burn with a passionate heart for the things of God, the rule, the righteousness, and the kingdom of God in our day and age of darkness also. Amen. Habakkuk cry, cried and prayed without any form or preamble, frankly and openly, fearlessly and from the deepest concern, truly in relationship with and relating to God with honesty. Do we pray with that honesty, fearlessly, opening our true hearts before God, and dare we, what's really in there? One day, God speaks to Habakkuk, makes known his answer, his answer to Habakkuk's prayer. Habakkuk's prayer isn't wrong, but it is from a man's point of view. Now the reply, forthright, as is God, no sugar coating, and Habakkuk had to take it on the chin. What happens when the answer is not what we expect and is in fact awful to our ears? It was not an anticipated nor an expected answer that Habakkuk received because it said in essence, I'm going to bring worse upon you than you already have. Habakkuk had prayed for relief from and the restraint of evil and now would be deeper in it than ever before. Habakkuk 1, 5, 7. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, 
around doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. My answer to this, says God, to this situation is them. A violent and arrogant people, an evil people. If you heard this from another source, you wouldn't believe it. But you are hearing it from me, your God. Habakkuk has complained about violence. Now he will see more of it. Habakkuk has complained about evil deeds. Now he will see more of them. Habakkuk has complained about injustice and the wicked outnumbering the righteous. And now there will be more of both. Habakkuk had prayed, perhaps for many years, for relief and light to come into the darkness, for there to be a turnaround, for wickedness to be overthrown. And when God eventually and finally answers, completely the opposite is going to happen, and in his day soon. And it knocks him over, and everything spills out of him again without any vestige of dissemblement or restraint. Verse 12, 13. O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Panic. O Lord our Rock, you sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, grasping the straw. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up a people more righteous than they? How can you do this? Habakkuk's shock is evident. Panic, consternation, pleading and remonstrating with God. Are we prepared for God's answer to prayer when it doesn't in any way match up to our preconceptions or even our understanding? When we pray, we look for a good outcome. And in a way, and almost always, for a palatable and somewhat easy answer. For a lifting of burdens and rescue. But what if it doesn't go well? What if the answer is, 
but the burden will increase. We may also be in shock, panic and consternation. Plead and even remonstrate with God. But will we do what Habakkuk did next? Chapter 2, verse 1. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. He gathers himself. He does not comprehend, but turns again with a waiting heart to seek he who made the heavens and the earth. More prayer, more seeking, more waiting, deliberate and intentional, turning again to his God and Master, climbing actively, standing awake and alert, intentional, determined, a man of God and a watchman and God for Israel, compliantly fulfilling his role in the will and purposes of God, even in the great difficulty of personal distress. Would that we would be the same. Once more God answers. Habakkuk 2, 2-3. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets, so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it. It will surely take place. It will not be delayed. If we were to read on, we would find that the answer is that the wicked will come and they will come to judgment as well and the tables will be turned but they the wicked still will come nonetheless and the just will live by faith in God during this time Habakkuk has asked why to which God has not replied. Habakkuk has said, surely not. God has said, surely so. And Habakkuk accepted God's way, put aside his own perception, and wrote down the words of the vision. To be read by the righteous of his day, and all succeeding generations that they might know that God is in control of all things and take strength in times of tribulation.
God does not explain himself, but does make known what is to come. Amos 3.7 Indeed, the Sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. And Matthew 24.25 Jesus said, See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. Over 2,900 years ago, a man of God in prayerful obedience wrote down what is set before us today. Let us also in our time heed the warnings that are given. And Habakkuk's final words show the heart of a man's relationship of trust in his God. Even though the fig trees have no blossom, and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. <coughs> And I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as the deer, able to tread on the heights. Able to tread on the heights. Able to endure these things. Able to be faithful and true to the Lord. So that's about all I've got on Habakkuk for today. But I want to share a, a little vision I had. And I'm not claiming to be a prophet. Now Habakkuk was a prophet appointed by God. But he was one of the few with the Spirit. There aren't any prophets like that today. There is me and you. The Spirit of God lives in each one of us. We are all intercessors. We are all potential prophets. We can all hear the Word of God. It's not just for a few today. It's for all. The Spirit has been poured out. So I'm not claiming to be a prophet. I'm not claiming any sort of uh, special anything. But it's just a little vision, not last week because I wasn't there, but I had in the prayer group the week before. It's not much really, but it actually says something to my mind. And I saw, I sat there very quietly, and I saw a basket. And the basket was full of eggs. Beautiful duck eggs, white ones, which I really like. I like duck eggs. And I realized that all the eggs were in one basket. Totally committed, as it were. There were no eggs outside, they were there. And the basket had a handle. And 
there was a figure came alongside and I knew it was Jesus. And that figure was wearing a very tattered, worn cloak. Not bright white, but grey. It had seen some wear and tear, attrition and labour. And he reached down a hand and he picked up that basket full of eggs. And he started to walk down this path. And I realised that that path led to Jerusalem. And I've been praying for direction for the church. And, you know, we've just had this um, time of repentance and etc. And you say, well, Lord, what now? And you expect some sort of answer of some sort. And this is what I think the Lord showed me. So Jesus picks up the basket, all the eggs are in it, and he starts to walk with the basket. And I realize that he's going to Jerusalem. And he's going to crucifixion. And he wants to take us with him to Jerusalem. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that we're going to come to that point. But I, we may, many of us here. But I think the point is, we must be on our way with the Lord to Jerusalem. That is our direction. That is always our direction. It's not to live out a nice life. It's to go to Jerusalem with the Lord, to do the Father's will. Amen.